Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Hey race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network, and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski, I'll be your host for the next hour as we go over this week in racing. Joining me in the studio, Mr. Seth Eggert, Richard Uden, and Gray Warren. How we doing, folks? Great, great, great. Doing good. All right, I mixed up your names, jumbled them up. Oh, on the edge. I mean, Gray's been getting that top billing forever. I thought I, I thought I'd uh, give Seth a little pat on the back. So, because uh, <laughs> Seth, Seth, you spent your weekend at the Charlotte Roval, um, covering uh, all all kind of neat stuff there. So we had a uh, NASCAR was on the Charlotte Roval. Um, we saw young Chase Elliott um, have quite a day where he um, <laughs> he looked like he threw his race away and then uh, came back through the field and won the thing. Um, and also, uh, this weekend at Charlotte, we had, uh, Joseph Newgarden run his IndyCar for some demonstration laps there at the Roval, uh, much to the delight of the crowd, um, causing a lot of buzz, uh, for IndyCar there, and, and, and Newgarden, for his part, really enjoyed that. Um, over in Russia, Formula One, um, Hamilton, uh, takes the win after Ferrari's strategy kind of implodes. And uh, that's all kind of complex, and we'll have our Formula One man, Richard, get into that a little later in the show. But uh, Seth Gray, let's talk about the Charlotte Roval race, because once again, as it was last year, it was a pretty fine show, was it not? Oh, it was absolutely uh, great. I think you couldn't ask for a better for a better race. I mean, it had all the elements. It was kind of like a kind of like a short track race in, in the close quarters racing. Uh, uh, the car, the cars, you looked at the cars that, uh, that finished, they looked like they'd raced at Martinsville and, uh, leaning on one another and, uh, a little beaten, banging. I mean, I think if you were a fan, you, you would, you should really love that. Cause, uh, I mean, it's like almost like a, you know, NASCAR doesn't have a street course, but that's almost like what I would envision a, a NASCAR race on a street course would be like. But, uh, yeah, and, and, and just to see what the nine car, uh, Chase Elliott, man, I tell you what, his drive through the field was uh, was incredible to watch and fun to watch. And, uh, 
you know, I tell you what, if you didn't, if you were a race fan and didn't enjoy that race, you, you, you're not going to enjoy any race. Oh, I agree with you there. And I mean, and Chase Elliott, the kid just keeps getting better and better. I mean, honestly, well, we already know he's a fine road racer, but this, I mean, he was really, I mean, he, he missed, uh, missed the, the turn. Have, have, on, he, on the restart, he walked up the brakes, so went straight right into, into the, the wall, tire barrier, right, right into the tire barrier, and, and and we all thought he was pretty much done for the day, or at least you know going to lose a lap, or, or or maybe finish outside the top ten. But my gosh, this this kid just stuck with it, didn't he, he Seth? He restarted thirty seventh. One lap after the restart, he had gained sixteen positions at a track that no one said passing was easy. Just about every driver was complaining that you can't pass. You can't pass. Just like last year. Uh, I think Chase Elliott proved otherwise. Either that or he was just that damn good this past weekend. Uh, he basically tried to leave, lead everybody off the cliff like Brad Keselowski last year. And somehow he came back. He won. Uh, it, it was a career day for him. It reminded me a lot of... Uh, the story of Bill Elliott years ago at Talladega coming back from two laps down without a lucky dog, without cautions, and driving his way back up through the field. Granted, it's slightly different circumstances. Obviously, uh, that was a super speedway race, no restricted plates. This was a road course, and Chase never went a lap down. But it's just an incredible story nonetheless. Certainly is. Now let, let's talk about him him r- running off the uh, the first turn there. I find it interesting that we've got that chicane there right on the the front stretch, but we skip that for restarts. So as the you know as the television announcers make sure they reminded us time and time again on a restart they're carrying quite a bit more speed into that first turn than they are in a regular lap because they don't have that that little. Slow down there, but the restart zone is right there on the the oval, oval. portion of the track. So, uh, I, re- I mean, what are what are your thoughts on that, uh, well, Gray? Gray, I want to throw this to you since you've been watching racing a whole lot longer than Seth and I. I mean, do you agree on them changing the layout just very slightly, um, just for the restarts, or do you feel like if we did a restart through the chicane, it would just be more of a mess? It'd be more of a mess, really. I mean, it did clog things up. I mean, it gets pretty hectic when they go down into turn one anyway. I think that's a good call it, because it, it's, it's close quarters. I mean, we obviously know that, that it, you know, it's done inside a mile and a half oval. So, yeah, you, you've got to uh, do that. I, I don't mind that. And I like the uh, I like what they did to chicane on the back stretch too. I think that improvement really, really helped it. Uh, some good racing through there. The guys could set up a pass, uh, you know, either entering or exiting the chicane, you know, uh, and going up back up onto the uh, turn three, turn four, of the oval. Uh, so I, yeah, I think I think the changes that they that uh, they did on that really helped. And like I said, that uh, that restart zone is is probably a good thing. You just uh, gets the cars where they can kind of uh, sort themselves out before they. Get that rush down in tight turn one. On top of that, it also eliminates an advantage that the leaders would have, a disadvantage that the mid pack and especially the rear of the field would have. Right, exactly. Yeah, it bot- it would bottleneck everything and kind of clog stuff up and give the give the guys up front a big break. 
uh, breakaway actually. So yeah, I I don't see anything wrong with the uh, with that restarts. I think I think it's pretty uh, like like Seth said, it's 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 kind of fair. Now, yeah, like I say, you just gotta gotta be a little careful and remember you're going a little faster. So because uh, we saw, um, like you said, Keselowski did the same thing uh, last year, right right off into the wall. Correct. So. All right, go now, ahead, Seth. Uh, now, something else about the chicanes that you want to mention real quick. The chicanes actually meant the difference, at least for Ryan Newman, between moving on to the next round and not moving on to the next round. Yeah, he made a mistake. He, 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 he made a mistake with three to go, missed uh, the backstretch chicane, never did, performed a stop and go in that restart zone on the front stretch, which meant he then had a drive through penalty, which he also never performed. So instead of finishing ninth where he was running, he had a 30-second time penalty and was credited with a 30-second place finish. That points difference, uh, which ended up being about 20 points, took him from being 12th on the playoff grid to 14th and outside of the round of 12. And all he would have had to do was perform that little stop on the course or – Go through which, the lane. which he would have probably lost somewhere around 10 positions. That being said, if he had lost 10 positions, he would have at least had a fighting chance to remain in the playoffs versus getting a 30-second post-race penalty that dropped him somewhere around 22 positions. Right. So, as you just stated, this was an elimination round. So, other than Ryan Newman being eliminated, right, we also lost Kurt Busch. Um, Eric Jones, correct? Eric Jones, and, correct. And Eric Amarola, am correct. I right? Right. Correct. So, so we're down to 12, twelve guys. Twelve guys. Um, now, uh, of those twelve, uh, is any, anybody surprise you that that made it to this twelve? Honestly, just the way uh, his season's been going, I want to say Ryan Blaney. Uh, granted, a Team Penske driver. However, he's just been kind of on the outside compared to the other two uh, Penske drivers. Inconsistent. Inconsistent. Yeah, which is very uncharacteristic for Penske. Uh, He's had various uh, mechanical issues, including one in the Roval that they had to fix mid-race, and somehow he didn't lose a lap. Uh, He's had tire issues. He's just had bad luck this season. Yeah, poor guy. Uh, you know, the interesting thing, now that you mentioned Ryan Blaney, I happened to notice this during the race. Cause we talk about how how tough a track uh, this is on brakes. Um, because because Ryan Blaney uses those bright yellow wheels, uh, it was really evident how much brake they were using because by the time he'd go to the pit stop, those front yellow wheels would be nearly black. Uh, for all for say, all the brake dust, yeah. But I mean, it was just so. Yeah. Well, sorry, but it was so evident on mm-hmm. on on that bright yellow uh, oh, wheel yeah. there, yeah. So mm-hmm. I, you know, just an observation of mine. Well, Nothing important. We all we all know a road course is uh, tough on the brakes. There's about four heavy braking zones: uh, turn one, uh, turn six, which brings you back onto the oval, the backstretch chicane, and the front stretch chicane. Certainly. So let's talk about Bubba Wallace a little bit, uh, because uh, from, from what I observed, that at the end of the race, uh, Alex Bowman was feeling quite dehydrated after the race, and Bubba, Bubba Wallace walked up to him and offered to help him hydrate 
by dumping a, a, a cup of uh, Gatorade well, in his face. So um, well, <laughs> now I know I know I'm just being silly, yeah. But uh, let's talk about the little heated. I, I mean, Bowman's had a couple of issues with a couple of drivers over well, the last couple of races. So uh, for, uh, you guys break that down for me. Well, first off, let's start at the very beginning of the race when all of this started. Uh, going into the, the backstretch chicane, Bowman locked up his brakes and spun into Bubba. Later on, when Bowman caught Bubba, uh, Bubba decided he would give him the one-finger salute on every straightaway. Not taking kindly that, Bowman turned Bubba into the outside wall off of the backstretch chicane. And then we had the incident on pit road post-race. Just before I get to that, though, the reason why Bowman was dehydrated, he was sick all weekend. That being said, uh, during the red flag to clean up the axle grease from uh, Garrett Smithley, he was not given a water bottle by NASCAR. NASCAR went around giving... Uh, driver's water bottles, and for whatever reason, the official handing them out never gave one to Alex Bowman. Yeah, he said they, like, stopped four cars before they got to him. I don't know if they ran out of water bottles or or if they were too close to the restart. Yeah, but if you figure... Or if there was some miscommunication somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, did, I did hear that story. I don't know, and we all do know that, that Bowman was suffering effects of the, uh, you know, of like a, a late summer flu. Um, yeah. Going into the unseasonably, race, so. unseasonably hot day, and you've got a right side window that uh, that was in the car. So yeah, it just uh, that that those cars when they stop like that just become a giant heat sink, and uh, it's uh, it's it's pretty you know unbearable in those cars. I, you know. I personally say there's nothing wrong with Bubba throwing the water on Bowman in a normal circumstance. What made this abnormal was the fact that Bowman was dehydrated on the ground and being attended to by medical personnel. Not only did Bubba splash Bowman, he splashed the doctor as well as Jeff Gordon, who was there as well. Um, but granted, yes, yeah, it's just water. I, I, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, there were no penalties assigned, but it certainly, it certainly didn't make Bubba looked good in the face of the yeah, fans. It, to uh, exactly. it, it made him look very unsportsmanlike to go up to a guy sitting there on the ground and splash the water in his face. Almost reminds me of the impractical Joker sketch where they, you know, you walk in and splash the water in the face and say, "Hey, did I deserve that?" Well, yeah, he has, but, you know, but at the same he time, has culpability in the whole incident too. Certainly, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, Bow, Bowman's guy that spun okay, him out. You listen to the in-car radio, you know, and and. They, the spotters and all were talking, the crews were talking, and he told them, he said, he does it again, I'm going to dump him, and he did it again, and he dumped him. And so, you know, Bubba got learned, going to have to learn to... Stay uh, classy. Yeah, stay, right. And like I said, that, that, that he evidently didn't read the book, uh, how, to, how to Win Friends and Influence People, you know, and, 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 and like you said, that... I ought to give my copy of that back one day. Yeah. yeah. Well, one more... You don't, uh, you don't... You know that stuff. Well, Bubba ended up ended up looking getting the worst end of that deal from a from a PR standpoint, and 
that's going to come back to bite him in the ass. Sure, but haven't we, you know, haven't we talked about that? This is one of the the things the sport has been lacking. You know, we we've talked about when we had you know Willie T. Ribs on here last week. We talked about how the, the drivers are all just too vanilla, too too even keeled. Um, I mean, these yeah. little these little kind of you know get fired up and have a little little, little barb here, little you know dump a guy here, uh, you know whatever. Uh, is this is this what the sport's missing, or or, or is this just you know small potatoes hey, look, com- listen, compared compared standing, to a, a real rivalry? If both of them were standing upright and nose to nose, Mary redeemed a fifty thousand dollar cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun with over eighty casino style games to choose from. You too could win life changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to chumbacasino.com and give them a world. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Going to be a bit of problem, but that's kind of a a chicken shit deal where he does it when the guy's down and turns and walks away. He knows he's not going to get in retaliation. Let me see him do it standing when both parties are standing up nose to nose. That's flavor. That's that's flavor there. You know what I'm saying? That's that. I got you. you. I you got you. I'm saying, I, I, yeah, I got no problem with them confronting him and doing all that stuff, but don't, you know, hey, confront him standing up nose to nose. You know, not not laying down on the ground. You know, with a doctor and a nurse standing over him. You know, who um, who, who builds um, who builds Bobo Wallace's car? RCR. Oh yeah, who did uh, who did Bowman have a little spat with the other week? Oh yeah. Well, you know, I tell you what, it come come to find out, uh, Austin was Austin. If you listen to the in uh, car radio, Austin was egged on on that deal by yes. other parties to go up there and do it, and then. At the end, in the end, Austin had second thoughts when he was talked about the race. He said he wished he'd never done it because it ended up costing him a decent finish. And ultimately, he said he should have just let it go and, and move on. Yeah. Well, one, uh, one, one more thing I do want to touch on before we move on from the Cup Series, at least. Speaking of moving on, um, Michael McDowell, uh, Friday morning, uh, he... Got to the track and had severe abdominal pain and back pain. Uh, mm-hmm. Ended up getting rushed to the nearby ER uh, and was passing a kidney stone. <sighs> Later that same day, he returned to the track and he qualified. He not only qualified, he continued to practice and race throughout the weekend. He missed one practice session in which Austin Cindric, uh uh, subbed in the car for him, uh, but he he has to have the Iron Man award for this past weekend. Yeah, know. certainly. Yeah, that's uh, that's passing the kidney stone is no easy uh, no easy task. So, so Seth Gray, other than Chase Elliott's fantastic drive here, uh, I mean, who else do we really think kind of shown on the uh, that Roval this weekend in, in the Cup Series? Because I, I I thought a lot of guys had some really good drives there. Well, uh, Bowman had a great drive too. Um, coming as did Byron. Yeah, Byron. Uh, uh, Harvick. Yeah, uh, uh, Truex had you know Truex was was solid. He did kind of didn't have anything at the end. I think it's more of a tire thing than than, than well, anything. It didn't help him that he yeah yeah just kind of a up and down day. I think yeah. he missed Mister Chicane twice. And it didn't help that he also blew his engine 
in final practice. Yeah, it had, uh, it had to start chance. in the rear, yeah, yeah. But, you know, um, but it was uh, – he had some guys rally. Ryan Blaney, he, he had trouble and ended up, you know, uh, rallying, getting a decent finish. Uh, you know, Newman put in yeoman's work. I mean, but that mistake, you know, on the on – the but, you know, that's the thing about that that makes that track so good. It's – you know, you're not going to turn a perfect lap there. And, and you, you saw guys slipping and sliding and drifting out. And uh, even, even the nine car, I mean, he, he would, he was, he, he, he just man. That's yeah. what I like about that racetrack because it's, it's, uh, I mean, it's, uh, you really got to just, just get up on the wheel, elbows up and drive the race car. And, uh, and it was, uh, that's what made the race so good. Well, yeah. what are you, White knows about Chase Elliott, at least in practice, and I didn't think about it until after the race. Uh, he was driving deeper into the chicane than anybody else, and every practice lap he would go a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper, until he finally spun. Like he was testing the waters to see just how far he could go. And then come race time, he was driving into both chicanes about seven to eight car lengths deeper than yeah. anybody else. Yeah, yeah he, he found he found the limit of his car and, and me, exploited that. Let me let me say something else on that about that nine car too, and this goes back to uh, Watkins Glen and 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 the the boys at Hendrick have found something there because that car has in as he has witnessed at Watkins Glen that car has incredible drive I, off the corners. At Sonoma, he was uh, running well yeah. until uh, the water pump uh, or exactly. water belt broke. Uh, they have, they, they've really worked on their package, and they've got some incredible drive off in their in, in their cars. I don't know whether, you know, we'll see uh, see something, uh, see him run well. You know, he's, he's, he's run well at Martinsville before, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him uh, uh, be pretty good there going back. Yeah, I think the remaining – tracks in the in the playoffs kind of there's a few there that really suit chase quite well and we may see him in that final four i mean it would not surprise me i mean there's a lot of really tough guys still out there you know kyle bush and martin truex and kevin harvick certainly uh, you know mm-hmm. as well as the two pesky cars but it wouldn't surprise me to see you know chase go very deep into this playoff season a bit like he did in turn one <laughs> yeah <laughs> So, uh, but uh, we had an Xfinity race. We had an Xfinity race on the Roval as well, uh, and, and, and that was another little uh, exciting little race there. I believe uh, AJ Allmendinger won the thing. Finally, without getting a DQ, anyway. Finally, yes, yes. So let, let's talk about that a little bit. I, I, I believe uh, young Austin Sindrick was right there in the mix as well. Uh, Austin Sindrick was. Uh, honestly, the race was more so between AJ Allmendinger, Chase Briscoe, and Christopher Bell. Uh, Three drivers you wouldn't typically associate with battling each other on a road course, although Briscoe did win this race last year and Bell won the most recent road course before this at Road America. That being So said, why wouldn't you associate them with road courses? Well, I'm just saying, <laughs> you, you contradicted well, yourself. Well, for one thing, Bell and Briscoe are typically more dirt racers than uh, road course racers. <laughs> Anyway, moving on from that controversy. I'm sorry, Sav. You you walked into that one, sir. But <laughs> no, uh, but of course, Almendinger is you know born and raised well, on road road courses. So well, you want to associate the three of them battling each other. How about that? How about that? All right, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. So <laughs> anyway, uh, it all 
it ultimately came down, at least for Briscoe and Bell, to a uh, late race battle going into the chicane. Briscoe essentially forced Bell to miss the front stretch chicane. Bell retaliated by turning Briscoe in turn two in the infield section of the road course, uh, bringing out a caution. Bell, since he didn't stop, and because the caution came out, received a penalty that he had to restart at the tail end of the longest line. Uh, that essentially ended their days, handing the race to A.J. Allmendinger, who had been running a somewhat distant third behind the two drivers. Now, was this an elimination round for the Xfinity no. or no? No, Dover is the elimination for Xfinity. Okay, thank you. Now, uh, there were some other notable stories in the Xfinity series. You had Alex Labay, who's a regular in the Pinty series. Uh, he skipped the Pinty series season finale to come and run the Roval. Uh, he started sixth and finished a career best sixth. It's his second career top ten. Uh, uh, Post-race, uh, uh, when I caught up with him, uh, and I asked him if a point blank if it was worth it skipping the Pinty series season finale to come here. And he said, I just finished in the top 10 at Charlotte. Of course it's worth it. Yeah. What yeah. sort of question was that, sir? Jeez, come on. Come on, sir. Let me ask you this question, okay? Now, I, I'm familiar with the Pinty series, which it used to be called Cascar, which right. is, you know, Canadian NASCAR. But where does the, the Pinty's series, um, you know, car and horsepower kind of fall in the scale of it, is it similar to an Xfinity car? Is it closer to a cup car or it's more more like an Arca? More like an Arca. Um, the Pinty series, along with the Peak Mexico series and Whalen Euro series, all use virtually identical cars. Okay, thank you so much. I, I, I really, I just, I didn't know if that, uh, you know, the Pinties was, you know, kind of top level or if they were the, somewhere uh, there in between. But uh, yeah, you've answered my question. It. On top of that, uh, NASCAR did announce some ARCA news uh, today. Uh, the ARCA Menard Series will continue its 20-race schedule virtually unchanged. Uh, the K&N Series will now be the ARCA Menards East and ARCA Menards West Series with six to eight races each. Uh, that's a part of their merger with the ARCA Series. And then so are they, are they losing K&N as a um, presenting sponsor? I'm not entirely sure because they also announced there would be a 10-race short track showdown championship with a sponsor to be announced for that. So I think K&N might be shifting from uh, two separate series to uh, the championship within a championship. Yeah, okay. there was also some other NASCAR uh, news, too, some changes uh, coming to the Cup Series uh next year one of the one of the issues there is they're going to re- further reduce the number of crewmen that uh accompany uh the team down from 12 to 10 per car uh, yeah per car uh they are limiting the wind tunnel dates uh wind tunnel per organization time, wind tunnel time by organization uh and uh, you have to – There's right now there's only certain uh, approved wind tunnels. They may add more to that list uh, later, but uh, I think it's 150 hours Correct. That, that a team can have which, during the course of the year. Which I do want to state real quick. Uh, it, it sounds like a lot of hours. However, uh, there's teams right now that are spending 24 hours a week every week mm-hmm. in the wind tunnel – 
which equates to somewhere around 1,300 hours a year. Right. And, it, and, and generally a shift is either eight to 12 hours at a time when you when you go. So, yeah, you you put those together and it, it, you can uh, you can you can burn 150 hours up pretty quick. Um, also, there's some other uh, some uh, engine. Some more the engine rules and chassis have, rules. Yeah, that have to do with the uh, with the uh, engine. I mean, the sealed engines and the sealed short box. This gets on the technical side. Also, as, as Seth just alluded to, a team can only have uh, uh, twelve chassis eight, per car number. Yeah, twelve chassis per car number in its rotation. Act, uh, active chassis right. plus another four inactive. Right. So yeah, you got to uh, and. Uh, the only time uh, you you can replace a chassis if NASCAR deems uh, it is uh, wrecked beyond repair. There's also other rule if a particular chassis takes what three or four green flags during the course of the season, it it can be replaced. Uh, it, it's a convoluted rule package. You got to sit it, and read it. It is oh, totally uh, piece by piece. It's meant to be a cost reduction. Right. All, uh, of, all of it is, which, yeah. It, for example, uh, I know this because of what Stuart Haas Racing had said when they switched from the uh, Ford Fusion to the Mustang. They had to go and re-body uh, 120 chassis. Mm-hmm. They have four cars, so that means they had, for each car number, at least 30 chassis. And seems, Har- seems like overkill. And Kevin Harvick, uh, in the clash, uh, when in clash practice, when he and Ryan Newman got stuck in the mud, which was the first time we got to see the winch system that the tow trucks have, instead of uh, actually having to go under the hood and possibly damage uh, parts of the car, Kevin Harvick had said he hoped that they didn't just destroy a $750,000 chassis. So if you do the quick math, one car, $750,000 per chassis, comes out to somewhere around $2.8 million, uh, $2. million. Yes, and by limiting that to 12 per car number. You're kind of by over half. Well, it significantly levels the playing field, too, where you got, you know, Stuart Haas maybe has 30, you know, 30 cars per Per car number, where maybe a Levine family racing has three. Correct. Do we uh, do we know so. when the Cohen chassis is coming into play? Is that next year or the year after? The ge- that's 2021. The next gen car. It's been renamed next gen. It's no longer the Gen Seven. Um, okay. Uh, on otherwise, uh, there was also talk from the Sirius XM NASCAR channel that Chevrolet might have a new body style as soon as next year, which, correct me if I'm wrong, to me seems a little jumping the gun because I don't know what they'd be able to translate in a lame duck year uh, to the next-gen car. So probably what's happened, from my understanding, unless they've changed it, they have, so NASCAR and a, uh, it's like an old Dodge, from whenever it was a few years ago now, Templar. 2012. And basically you have a window that you can operate within in terms of your downforce levels that you generate from your wind tunnel numbers. And it could be that the Chevy are just not inside that window. So they're like, well, we're going to make a few tweaks. And I mean, in theory, if these teams wanted to, they could generate 
10 times more downforce than they do, you know, within a week if NASCAR up and the rules up. So the fact that, you know, the, the, we're spreading this window, it may be that they realizing that, you know, they're not going to get back into that window with the current configuration. So they're saying, hey, look, we're just going to redesign the thing. Yeah, and also NASCAR is only going to allow them a, like four four different uh, variants in their chassis. So this would be, say, a variant or at least a update, so to speak. Right. So in other words, you can't, you know, you know, like what is it? What uh, you know, all that stuff we had at RCR, the what was it, the uh, V31, you know, all, you know. All oh those, yeah, all yeah, all the different suspensions, yeah, all the different Yeah, right, and all that stuff. So NASCAR is only going to allow them full variants. So uh, right they have, they have, place, they've have. stepped in to, uh, they've stepped in to kind of, uh, uh, and, and of course this is driven by the owners. The owners are the ones that request this. So uh, you know it's, uh, it, well, I don't think you know to to the fans they're not going to see any difference uh, in no. it. The teams will, teams will save a little bit of money. Uh, the problem was, was, you know, no matter but what happens. they'll take that money, but you know. They take that money they save and, and spend, spend it somewhere, somewhere else. else. So, yeah, or, or at least some will, uh, which is one reason why they also had NASCAR uh, do certain limits with wind tunnel and uh, chassis and okay. other areas to try to prevent them from doing that very thing because that is essentially what ran Furniture Row Racing out of business. Yeah, and then, too – they're they're uh the only the manufacturers can 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 continue to do their developmental work for the new car uh at the wind tunnel uh let me ask you this speaking of wind tunnels mm-hmm. uh, now you said that nascar is going to limit the amount of wind tunnel time which if any of the nascar teams own their own wind tunnel i mean does, no. does, does none of them okay no, i didn't Pens- know if no, Stuart. Stuart, Pens- i thought maybe penske had one Gene Haas uh, used to own one before Stuart Haas he used to was use created. And, Aerodyne, didn't he? Yes, and uh, Roger Penske had attempted. He has to, a scale. He has a scale wind tunnel. He he attempted to build a full scale one as well as his own test track, which the city of Mooresville told him no because of the sheer amount of land he wanted to buy in order to do it. Okay, I was just wondering how they could police that if somebody had their own wind tunnel, but it sounds like nobody has their own full wind tunnel facility, though. No, there's several. There's one rolling wind tunnel in in the Charlotte area. In fact, uh, there's only several of those in the world, and uh, teams from around the world will schedule time in that particular. I think there's there's four, isn't there, that NASCAR got on their schedule? But I'll tell you, it's not going to be long until you know the big teams, the with the big budgets, are going to start squirreling chassis off to wind tunnels around the world to get you know test. I mean, Toyota is in the road manufacturer. You know, the car manufacturer will have two or three wind tunnels for. For car manufacturing, so you know, it wouldn't or, be on the realms of possibility they screw a chassis somewhere. Or another possibility is uh, the alliance system that, say, Gibbs has with Levine, or even say uh, RCR has with Petty, might become stronger or be forced to become stronger since it's per organization. They could, in theory, give a chassis to Petty and Petty under name anyway, uh, be the one to go to the 
Uh, when, yeah, well, obviously they've already figured that out. They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna work. The wheels have already turning on that deal because, yeah, they'll use, uh, they'll use their alliances and they'll put that together to uh, to help that. So yeah, that's and nothing you can do about that. No way you can police that because that's the that's the open sharing of information. So yeah, you know, and the chassis will essentially come from the from the same place anyway. So it's really nothing you can do about it. But, um, yeah, it's just like the rich get richer. You know, that's, that's, it's still gonna, the big teams are still gonna be, uh, still gonna be, have the upper hand, uh, in those things. At least for what you do. At least for now until the, uh, composite bodies right. come into, right. which that is, as of right now, the last I heard, about a year and a half from now. Yeah. And I tell you what, you can believe that too, that, there's ways around that too. Uh, there's they'll 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 build ovens to put those bodies in and and uh, uh, tweak them. So I mean, you know, it's 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 always going to be there. You know, it's you know you're never gonna you're never gonna be able to police it totally where you say okay, you know, less less NASCAR, you, you know, unless you show up at the racetrack with a bare chassis and they hand out the bodies when you get there, you know what I mean? But uh, that'd be hilarious. Th- that would be high rock. Yeah. yeah. Now, guys, we had in addition to Xfinity and Cup, there was another car running around that Roval this weekend, and that was Joseph Newgarden in the in the Penske car. So, Seth, you had a chance to uh, uh, witness the um, the demonstration laps and to sit in on the. Press conference. So, what what was the general feel of the folks there at Charlotte to see an IndyCar come around there? And I believe I heard that the lap times were oh nearly eleven seconds faster than fourteen the, than seconds. Fourteen seconds faster than the Cup cars, and that's just uh, <laughs> just and that's just Joseph doing demonstration laps. That's not even with uh, proper testing or setup. So, but uh, yeah, I mean it's no surprise that an Indy IndyCar is uh, quite a bit faster and, and more nimble around a road course. Uh, uh, you know, than an NASCAR chassis, but um, I mean, overall, what was the feel? It seemed like the, folks there were quite excited. Th- there was a lot of excitement. Uh, the pedestrian bridge in the infield that goes from the uh, outer portion of the infield road course to the inner portion of the infield road course, uh, it was standing room only up there just to watch him run the uh, eight or so laps that he ran. Uh, Joseph was excited about it. Logano was excited about it. Uh, it was hard to find anyone who wasn't excited about it. In fact, I didn't find anyone who wasn't excited about it. But that being said, uh, uh, New Garden expressed interest once again in uh, maybe doing a seat swap. Uh, he and Joey were actually talking about attempting to do one this weekend. And when they took the idea to Tim Sindrick, he shot them down because they had no testing here uh, with the IndyCar, which that actually makes it a little bit more interesting what could have been. Sure, yeah. Now, we know that, uh, you know, Keselowski had a uh, had a test day in Pagano's car at, uh, at, Road, at, America, at Road, Road America two years ago. So, I, I mean, and I'm still waiting for, I mean, Will Power has said he'd like to run an NASCAR race and, and you know, new guards express some interest, but I haven't seen Roger let one of his Indy guy, IndyCar guys, you know, set in a NASCAR ride yet. Just, just even for some test laps anywhere. 
that's correct. Uh, Blaney as well expressed interest in an IndyCar or uh, at least testing one, let alone racing one. Uh, there were a number of off the wall questions for drivers throughout the day. Uh, I want to say there was somebody who asked Jack Roush if he even expressed any interest in ever owning an IndyCar, which Roush replied with he believes uh, race cars should have doors on them, but that's another conversation for another day. Yeah, I mean, of all the people to ask, Jack Roush, okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, the point, so. The point is, though, uh, there was a lot of excitement, a lot of interest. Uh, you had basically a crowd of fans following New Garden wherever he went, whether it was to the Arca Garage where they had the IndyCar waiting for him, to Pit Road, to NBC's Peacock Pickbox, to the Media Center. Everywhere he went, there was a crowd following him, which. The last time I saw a crowd following anybody at Charlotte, I want to say was when Chase Elliott made his first cup uh, start at Charlotte and when Kyle Busch came back from his uh, ankle injury here. I mean, all this bodes well, I mean, for the, the whole talk that uh, maybe IndyCar would like to race on the Roval, although the... You know, the the powers that be in the series being, uh, you know, Mark Miles have kind of cooled, uh, you know, cooled the Jets in that for a little bit. So they're not they're, the talks aren't serious. But 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 I do believe that uh, there are folks within um, Bruton Smith organization and within NBC who would like to see this happen. So uh, I never say never is is all I'm going to say on that. Yeah. IndyCar may come here one day. IMSA may come here one day. Hell, a dream that you know some people were talking about was uh, all three a triple header weekend in which you had IMSA running on Friday, IndyCar on Saturday, and Cup on Sunday. That would be a lot of fun. I would go to that. Richard, would you go to that? I'd probably go to that. Yeah. Well, it's tough to get you out of the house unless it's a golf course. <laughs> so. All right, so we're off to Dover. Correct? Yes. Yep. All right. So who do you all like for Dover? Passed him on the way home from work today. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Passed some trucks. headed that way today as well. Um, and one unique thing, this will be Dover's 100th cup race. Is, is that right, uh, Seth? That is right. I believe it's the eighth or ninth track to reach 100 races. Yep. Mm-hmm. So 69 was the first uh race at uh at, at dover uh 300 miler way back when and had one race that first year and the king won it in a ford uh but uh yeah it's uh you know that, that's that's pretty good milestone speaks to the uh you know in in this day and time where some tracks come and go it's uh you know been around a long time and uh dover's a good track and uh, a fun place um of course, you know, it's been reconfigured uh, once, you know, where they went from asphalt to, to concrete and uh, uh, usually see some pretty you see some pretty good racing up there. Uh, one good thing they, uh, that I like they did it used to be a marathon you used to run 500 laps up there and it took all afternoon but long. The other thing that a lot of people like is uh, they actually have a tunnel now, so you're not trapped inside the track. Until there's a caution that you could uh, play you, chicken. Yeah, you had that uh, had that crossover walk over the backstretch too that you could get out um, get out there too. But yeah, um, 
Oh, gosh, you know, Jimmy Johnson's owned the place or has in his career, but uh, fallen on hard times up there in the last uh, four or five years up there. I tell you, um, I'm going to say this weekend, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with the guy that's got the hot hand right now. I'm going to say Chase Elliott. He's run, he's run well up there, finished second uh, a couple of times up there. I'm going to say he gets the win. Apparently we're All doing right. picks for the race already. Yes, we're doing picks for the race. Richard, your turn. <laughs> uh, Truex. He's been a bit quiet. Well, no, he hasn't. He's won those two races, but um, <laughs> I'll shut up. Uh, Truex. All right. Seth? Well, since Greg took my first pick and uh, Richard apparently took my second pick, I'll go with Alex Bowman. Okay, and I'm going to go with Kevin Harvick. So, uh that's that's where we're at for um, Dover, uh, Dover in a week's time. Now, uh, Richard, let's talk about the Formula One race in um, in Russia. Uh, Ferrari, I mean, Leclerc, was it, this his fourth consecutive pole? Yeah, fourth consecutive pole, first time since Schumacher, I think, and the Ferrari did that. Um, you know, I mean, the kids, yeah. oof, the kids on a roll, isn't they? Yeah, he's, yeah, uh, but, but and, it up and, uh, and they yeah, they had some pressure on team orders at the start and oh, it didn't go so... quite right so i'm gonna gonna let you explain that oh, okay. so first first of all the whole thing was being blood massively out of portion in my opinion uh the the start at uh, russia is basically the longest run from t- the start line to they call it turn two there's a little kink which they consider turn one basically to the first serious breaking zone and Ferrari being first and third on the grid, they played it smart. They didn't block Hamilton, so Hamilton didn't get a slipstream. They allowed Vettel to get the slipstream uh, from the back of Leclerc, and that enabled Vettel to pass Leclerc into turn two. There was agreement that uh, if that was obviously it was a you know manufactured move, that um, you know Vettel would then let Leclerc back pass as a you know only fair really, which I agreed to. I'm not a big fan of manipulating race results, but I think that was about right. So um, the problem was Leclerc couldn't get close enough to Vettel to pass him. And they were going backwards and forwards on the radio. Vettel sort of maintained this two and a half second gaps. So, or, you know, two, two and a half second gaps. So Leclerc couldn't really get close enough to him to have a, a sensible pass without putting Vettel into the, into the uh, clutches of, of Hamilton, who was running third. Now, there was a bit going backwards and forwards on the radio, and Leclerc was a little bit unhappy, naturally. Uh, but, you know, Ferrari said, look, we, we're going to sort this out later in the race when there's no risk to, you know, uh, one, two positioning on the on the grip, on the the track, which was fine, you know. And Leclerc did appear to understand that, and I, I hope he would. I think he's a pretty smart guy, and in the cold light of day, he'd probably understand that that's, you know, the, t- the team's sensible situation. But, of course, it didn't work out like that, did it? Um uh, there was a pit stop sequence that went through. Vettel came out, and um, Leclerc was closing on the undercut a little bit there. And then Vettel had a um, uh, would it be an overcut, wouldn't it? Because Vettel pitted first. Um, Vettel had an engine failure or a curse for MGUK failure or whatever part they call it. Oh, I mean, either way, however you want to call it, his, his car was failure. dead on the track. Yeah, mechanical failure. Now. Unfortunately for Ferrari, that resulted in a virtual safety car, and that was the worst possible set of worst possible outcome for Ferrari, in that it allowed Hamilton to pit and got, get out uh, ahead of Leclerc. So it, it sort of it 
basically screwed uh, the race, really. So you had a scenario where uh, Hamilton then took the lead, uh, Leclerc was second, and Bottas third. Restart the race, Leclerc just couldn't get close enough to him on all the tyres. Um, they had a little bit of, you know, backwards and forward. Uh, and then it got to the situation where there was another virtual, was it virtual? I think it was a full safety car when I think one of Williams' cars, uh, George Russell had brake failure, uh, hit the wall, so they, they brought out the safety car for that. Leclerc took the gamble and went off, uh, sort of newer, still not new, but newer soft tyres. And wasn't able to, to, to get past Bottas. So it was Mercedes 1-2 uh, with Leclerc coming in third. Now, the whole media is making this huge thing about how Ferrari team orders cost on the race. No, it didn't. Absolute litter drivel, that is. The team orders did not cost Ferrari the race. No, the engine failure did. A little bit of bad luck and the you know the, the failure to uh, Vettel's car. Perfect storm. Scenario for Mercedes, they took advantage of the situation. So to turn around and say that the team orders cost Ferrari the race is absolutely ridiculous. And again, headline grabbing, uninformed journalism. I'm afraid to say that. So what? now the, but, but at the end of the day, right? Despite the fact that we had another Mercedes one-two, Ferrari really looks like the car to oh, beat yeah. in this last this last at, section at of, of the season. Pitted. Yeah. Yeah, the point when Patel pitted, he was seven seconds ahead of Hamilton, which is, I can't remember the last time on raw pace, a Mercedes car was seven seconds down after 15 laps or whatever it was. You know, uh, Ferrari made some upgrades and they're really, really starting to sort of flex their muscles a little bit. Now, th- th- there's an argument there of, is that partly because Mercedes have, been of the situation the mentality okay we've got this championship wrapped up we're going to freeze development of the 2019 car we're going to look at 2020 and ferrari is still doing 2019 development maybe the case i don't know i haven't seen any major updates from mercedes these last few weeks to sort of corroborate that obviously ferrari have bought some updates and some of those updates may carry over to 2020 as well so who, who knows ferrari may be doing their testing in public to try and regain that momentum, and they have done. I mean, it's not going to affect the championship. At the end of the day, Hamilton's sealed his 28th championship, whatever it may be, and, uh, you know, Mercedes have got their, you know, championship and all that sort of jazz. So there's going to be no big picture effect here unless a huge amount of, you know, bad luck inflicts the Mercedes camp and, uh, you know, Ferrari go off and win every race. But, Which um, they could, but I, they, I think at the same time, well I mean, yeah, even if Ferrari wins every race, I mean, Mercedes is going to be, you know, third and yeah, fourth. So I, I don't think I don't think they're going to build the gap. But uh, but no. let's talk about Mercedes for a little bit because Mercedes is in the news as being the engine supplier to McLaren going forward starting next year. Is that correct? Uh, no, starting twenty twenty one, I believe. Okay, all right, my bad. So, they've got another year with Renault uh, and then moving forward. Now, what I envisage that meaning is that potentially Racing Point will be leave, will be moving away from Mercedes. I don't know what their contract is, but I know that Williams have just recently signed a new long-term contract through to 2025, I believe, with Mercedes. So, Mercedes will be very, very, very hard pushed to supply four teams with, with engines for 
for next year, or for 2021. Um, I mean, three is difficult enough, uh, but to be playing four would be a real push when you can consider everybody else, I think, could be. Ferrari supply two, Renault supply one, and Honda would supply two, I think, off the top of my head. Um, and you, you would imagine that Renault would want at least a second team just for the development exactly. sake. Exactly. So I imagine you'd see, well, there's a very strong possibility in my mind that Racing Point would, would switch to Renault. Um, it, it's interesting. I, I, I wonder about the logic behind it. I mean, I will say this, and I've always said this, going back to when I was working in the sport, you're not going to win a championship as a, as a um, customer team. No way. Will the main team allow that to happen? I remember when I was at you know, Williams, we used to, when we were getting close to Mercedes as the factory team, you know, we'd suddenly have to run some pretty aggressive cooling package, which was like sticking a parachute out the back of the car. And it was a surprising enough Mercedes didn't have the same cooling package. So make into that what you will. But, um, you know, there's those little things which these A teams, if you like, are not going to allow the B teams to do. Uh, so it, it really does. I mean, I, I know they went through a really, really rough patch and it was very, very, very difficult for them for a long period of time. But you look at where Red Bull is now. McLaren should have stuck with Honda. You know, if Honda were prepared to persevere and commit to the sport, I think that McLaren should have done the same thing. I think Red Bull have basically, you know, looked out here, for want of a better word. They've got all of the, in the Honda package there, they've got all the pain that McLaren went through, but will benefit from all the experience. So Certainly, and Honda's got a fantastic track record in the sport as, you know, getting it right eventually. They do. If, if, if they don't get it right, right off the bat... They've, they've got a long history of, of winning Grand Prix and winning championships. Apart from 2009. But anyway. Oh, well, um, yeah. <laughs> but that was a unique set of circumstances, I think, with the financial downturn. Um, or is, you know, who, who, who knows? Who knows the situation there? But I, I, I just think there's something not... I know they made some big changes at McLaren, and they're probably leading that midfield battle right now. Um, you know, they've got two very, very good drivers. I've been hugely impressed with Lando Norris. Carlos Sainz Jr. is doing a great job there. You know, they've got a really, really good package and they've got some really, really good people there. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But um, I just, I wonder what that whole, where, where they see themselves in five years' time with that Mercedes package. You know, no matter how much money they throw at it, will they be in a position to beat Mercedes? I, mm, I question it. I think not, yeah. But but I, I, I also wonder, is there another underlying <laughs> you know, under, uh, underlying story here? Because uh, we do know that, um, you know, McLaren has thrown their hat into the ring in IndyCar, and IndyCar is looking for another engine supplier. I, I, is this opening the door to Mercedes to return to IndyCar racing? Well, I mean, there's that potential. Uh, you, know, you never know, because we, we got a uh, few... Uh, you know, a few years till the you know next uh, next uh, uh, full twenty twenty C twenty twenty two I think is the new uh, engine rules for um, for IndyCar. So it mm-hmm. and they're they're trying to tout a uh, new engine. So maybe it's Mercedes and maybe McLaren's behind that. I don't know. That that's really stretching things. 
Um, it but, is. But uh, again, yeah, you always... if, if McLaren are coming back, you know, Zach Brown has, from, to quote from my understanding, has said it's a case of when rather than if McLaren enter. You know, obviously we've seen that with the um, the deal of announced for next year, but still not a true McLaren entry, is it? Um, no, it's more like McLaren is the primary sponsor of the Schmidt-Peterson team. Exactly. But, but they're going to um, have a lot of personnel, a lot of uh, support, uh, you know, in that in that deal there, although they won't own the team per se. But who's to say that they won't? Time, isn't it, really? It's only a matter of time before they, you know, buy the, team, they can buy the whole team but or buy another um, one or just start their own. But, so. yeah, yeah, it would make logical sense. You know, you wouldn't want a McLaren IndyCar team powered by, um, you know, Chevy when you've got, you know, a Mercedes engine in the back of their F1 car. Um, I think they'd have to, the stars would have to align for that deal to work. Certainly. So now let's talk about IndyCar real quick in the last six minutes of the show. So IndyCar had its first debut test of the new aero screen at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway earlier today. Um, it's, from the side view, it looks like a fighter jet. From from the straight on front view, it looks like a. Uh, <laughs> it looks almost like the windshield on a jeep. Um, I, I mean, the thing is uh, quite high. It it, go, it, it it encapsulates the driver's head. Uh, although it does look like the um, the opening is large enough for the a driver to kind of get in and out of quickly. Um, certainly, they can strap the drivers in. Um, there were a lot of parameters for the test, including uh, different visors, uh, different mirrors, um, as well as just the aero to see how uh, the, the, the would affect the air going over the car and, and the additional weight uh, on the front of the car to see if they needed any more, more wing stuff. So there's not a lot of technical stuff available, but although Scott Dixon said for the first time it was nice and quiet in the car, and he could hear his radio pretty well. <laughs> so, 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 so there's that. But um, uh, overall, the IndyCar fan base is quite divided uh, among folks who think this is just the most god-awful, ugliest thing in the world. And they should either A, go with the Formula One halo, or Ooh. B, or B, just say, hey, you know, it's supposed to be open wheel, open cockpit, drivers know the risks, blah, blah, blah. That crap argument which, to which I say, hey, you know what? Drivers are human beings too. They want to. They would like to go home to their wife and kids every night, and their wife and kids would like to know that uh, that the paramount is safety in the series. So if we're gonna if we're gonna do away with a safety innovation because it looks quote unquote ugly, mm. I, I've got I've got nothing to say <laughs> to, to folks to say that. I but, agree. Um, yeah. No, I well, I have to see it. Yeah. We talked about on this show, and especially with the recent. Um, you know, tragic events over in, in, in Belgium. The and I've got to be careful here, but it, it's a you know it, it's something that's very you know important to me. But the the arrogance and the ignorance of these people that turn around and say, oh, well, you know, it's ugly and all this sort of stuff, and the, you know the quoting of the drivers know the rest. That is the most grotesquely ignorant argument that you could ever imagine for. Yeah, it, it makes my blood boil to read oh, comments like that. I, 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 there's, I very rarely get on these internet forums and websites and stuff, but uh, you know, everybody on this panel has seen some of the debates I've had with quite high-profile people on Facebook and the like, and 
I just I got no time for it. I think it is absolutely disgraceful. Some of these armchair experts opinions on these things. And at the end of the day, these, as you quite rightly said, these are human beings with families and, um, you know, uh, loved ones. And, you know, it's just incredibly disrespectful. And especially in IndyCar that has unfortunately seen its fair share of tragedy in the last uh, five or six years, you know, even a little bit, like, you know, with, with Justin Wilson and Dan Weldon. Uh, you know, these are these are real people. These are real human beings. And to turn around and say that the aesthetics of a race car is more important than th- these guys' lives is just it, it's embarrassing. People should be ashamed. Certainly, that, certainly, yeah. Now, now the other big hot topic amongst the you know armchair engineers is uh, how do they extract the driver in the event that the car is upside oh, down okay and and, and yeah. again i mean like oh. okay you think i want to say you think there not been like a hundred computer sims or a thousand computer yeah. sims done on this i mean sure they haven't flipped a car upside down to try to get a guy out yet but we're just in the testing phase yeah. we're just Wilkenberg in the testing phase trying to yeah, well, I mean, but this, 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 you know, this, this thing has a, you know, full kind of screen around it, right? It, it might be yeah. a little more difficult yeah. to get a guy out. I don't. know. Everyone wants to point to uh, Hinchcliffe's accident in Indy, where he was pinned in the car uh, with a suspension rod through anything. through his leg. Okay. And, so, I mean, they said that the the extra couple of minutes it would have taken to get him out. But but yeah. I, you know what? And okay, again, so, these sorry. are just these are just uninformed folks making their concerns known although uh, well, they don't realize that this this is um made by Red Bull the, yep. uh, the and it's been in test for oh three three four years now yeah uh, and they, they've done all kind of simulations the first time they put it on the car and run it and actually the folks say oh you can't see the driver anymore you can actually I saw some of the video today you can actually see the driver pretty well through that screen yeah you know, so but, so yeah, I, I I mean I at the end of the so, day, if it, if it saves us a driver, I'm I'm all I'm all about it. So very quick comment I, I, on driver extraction. Um, I I guess I'm pretty I'm almost certain with this that IndyCar uses the same uh, technique Formula One does now. The driver can be removed in seat um, with some tethers. So if a driver suffers a spinal injury. Uh, what they can do is that they actually clamp. There's four mounting points in the driver's seat that they can attach uh, tethers to and actually unbolt the seat from within the car, remove the driver still strapped in the seat. So if there is a spinal injury, they don't risk moving the back. So with regards to driver extraction in an instant like that, this thing is not going to make any difference. You know, that's one of the reasons why from head on it looks a little bit ungainly. Is it because the driver's got to go? It's because the driver's got to get out in his seat. Um, so, yeah, of course, yeah. So I, yeah, yeah. All right, well, a few more yeah. tests are scheduled. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna, they're going to test it at a, at a road course coming up. I believe we're going to test it at Barber. They're going to test it at Richmond. And they're going to have Sebastian Bourdais test it uh, because Sebastian Bourdais is one of the few drivers in the series who actually wears eyeglasses uh, just to see if there's any distortion between – uh, his eyeglasses, the, his helmet visor, and the screen itself. I mean, they're they're kind of uh, leaving no stone left unturned here, uh, but we'll we'll see how all that goes. And again, it's not a hundred percent that uh, that this will be on the car next year. 
Uh, and certainly when the, the 2021 car comes out, I'm sure it'll be a little better integrated into the chassis, but it's, it's progress. It's, it's keeping our drivers safe. And that's, that's what this is all about. Anyway, are we, are we racing Formula One next weekend, Richard, or no? Uh, no, Formula One has a week off, and then they're off to Suzuka. Okay, good, because we've got no time to make picks. Because we are out of time. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network and thank iHeartRadio, uh, Google Podcast for on now, and uh, as well as YouTube. And I want to thank you, Seth, Richard, Gray. Uh, you guys are great. We'll talk to you next week. You folks that tune in, thank you so much. Talk to you in a week. Good night. W-H-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O-S-U-R-Z-O-C-O-M W-H-O-O-B-A-Z-O-O-S-U-R-Z-O-C-O-M Enter website, enter website, enter website.